Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Anish from London, and you're listening to my favourite podcast of the week, The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Anish from London. Great location, obviously. Um, could be just down the road from me, Anesh. We might, we might never know. We might be passing one another in the street every day, uh, and I, I wouldn't know. But thank you very much for your support. Uh, myself, David, and Matt, we are all in the same Zoom location for the first time in what feels like a very, very long time. Sorry, Billie Jean just huffed out as if to say, "I'm here too." She is. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's very much here. She is uh perched on my shoulders like a like a an airline uh, inflatable pillow. Uh all, all in the same place for what feels like a very very long time, but actually is only sort of two and a half weeks, isn't it? Maybe it's because David Law looks looks so refreshed and youthful and Matt's got a tan. Uh, maybe that makes it feel longer. These are these are unfamiliar sights before me. Mm. I'm delighted at youthful, by the way. I'm quite surprised mm. by that. Very pleasantly mm. so. I'm delighted it's amazing. at tan. It's, <laughs> it's amazing what sleep can do, David. I have been saying that for a while. I have been working exceptionally hard on sleep. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like a sort of stern headmistress, like checking up on David's sleep patterns and uh, giving him very harsh marks. Can confirm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I was checking his last scene on WhatsApp. Oh, God. <laughs> Start watching, being careful. Yeah, I, got a, I got a message from Matt saying, sorry to be creepy, but I noticed that... Uh, that David's still uh, sending WhatsApp messages at 3am. What's that all about? (laughs) (laughs) But the tennis world never stops turning. That is the problem. Uh, There's been been quite a lot happening this week. We've got quite a lot to cover. We've got quite a busy agenda, be fair to say. Uh, We've got a mascot for it. We've got lovely Oreo. David's nodding as if, like Catherine, we do the mascot chat at the end of the podcast in order to limit the time that you spend describing the animals. I'm just nodding in agreement at the excellence of Oreo, uh, I have to say. And I was also nodding at the fact that it's Matt who's done the agenda today, whereas last week when it was you and me, there were basically five words listed. It just said, David's takes Medvedev, (laughs) Radicanu, Djokovic. 
Yeah. And it was it was a great podcast, David. Uh, hooray! <laughs> it was just a journey through David's mind. Um, and who doesn't love to take one of those every now and then? Uh, and I'm sure there'll be a little bit of that in today's podcast. There'll also be Matt's mind and the odd little bit of my mind. Although, full disclosure, I think we're going to start with the, with the Labour Cup, aren't we? Which, which took place Friday, Saturday and Sunday of this weekend. Um, I... I watched some of it. I dipped into it here and there. I had blocked out my late afternoon and evening for really tuning into the Labour Cup and gathering material to share with with you, our, our listeners, on the podcast. And I tuned in and it w- was over. Um, <laughs> I just sort of assumed at the Labour Cup that due to the nature of the, the scoring system and the amplified value of of wins over the the ratcheting amplified value of wins over the course of the weekend um that it would still be live going into the the final stages and it was very much not live because of the sheer imbalance of the teams this time around team europe won uh even more one-sidedly over team world than uh the us won the Ryder cup over europe this weekend which is really saying something isn't it because it was quite the hammering for Europe in the Ryder Cup um so yeah my sort of devoted research gathering time for the Labour Cup didn't quite pan out uh so I I I rest very much David I think in your hands mostly for appraisals of of the Labour Cup and the tennis and Roger Federer making an appearance on crutches obviously I saw that and I tuned in for for the Roger Federer, Andy Roddick sort of bromance scenes, which I'm very much here for. Um, what was it like? Did you enjoy watching it? i got to be honest, I didn't, didn't watch as much as I have done in previous <laughs> years. <laughs> have, have I oversold? You, you have, have a bit. Over-promised? Yeah, look, I, I did try to, I did stay in touch with it. I did watch some of Eurosport's coverage. They've got the rights this time, although I think it was on Eurosport Player in the evening session, uh, Boston time zone and because i'm trying to avoid the 2 a.m uh bedtimes at the moment i was sort of not really watching the the, the evening sessions live um, because they were going on pretty late here in the uk um but i i watched a lot of the the sort of highlights and a lot of the clips and the similarities to previous years were that it looked great you know in terms of the the court and i think that they do a fantastic job still with the colors of the teams the the uniforms the blue and the red and actually i think that that is one area where they are superior to the Ryder cup in that i think the moment that you turn on the tv you know exactly who the teams are and who's playing for whom and i think that there's a lot of sports and tennis in the past and it has learned from it and i think it can continue to learn from it and I think that, frankly, the Ryder Cup would do a, a lot better if they just made the Americans wear their red and the, the Europeans wear their blue every single day of the, of the event, personally. Um, so all of that was was really good. I thought some of the tennis was good. I mean, it's these are professional tennis players and know exactly what they're doing. There were full houses. It seemed pretty much uh, certainly a good atmosphere in Boston. But, I mean, it was incredibly one-sided and to the point where... It was slightly embarrassing for the team world. They were just, they would, I mean, yes, some of the matches were close. There were some deciding set tie breaks, but it was 14 points to one with three matches remaining. And 
even as you say with the ratcheted up point system of three points for a win on Sunday, Europe were home and away winners. They couldn't they couldn't lose. So that's four in a row they've won out of the of the event. Um, and I think in some regards it was quite interesting. I listened back yesterday afternoon to our three previous podcasts about the Labour Cup in 2017, 2018 and 2019. And I think that this is the, although it was the dullest ending, the others were all dramatic and all, it was almost like a movie in terms of the way they finished versus how this finished. But this was the most sporting feeling. This felt like sport in that, yeah, one team absolutely dominated and the other one couldn't catch up. That to me is sport and one of the whilst it's not a very exciting ending the 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 memorable moments in sport are the ones where there is genuine real drama that isn't helped along by a scoring system that is amplified on the final day i can't remember whether matt you liked that scoring system generally because i remember listening back in the 2019 podcast you're you're a fan of the, the labor cup or you were at that point and you liked the event but i couldn't remember whether you liked that system or not isn't it great matt to have david uh <laughs> retrospectively reviewing your hot takes <laughs> <laughs> i mean i always sort of dread the labor cup show a little bit because i think you get people in one camp who are really snobby about the Labour Cup and don't see any good in it at all. And then you also get people and perhaps mainly the world feed of the Labour Cup telling you it's amazing and are sort of blinded by it and can't see anything wrong with it at all. And of course, inevitably, I sort of fall in in the middle of those two things. Um, I think the Labour Cup doesn't really know what it is. I think on the one hand, it's trying to be quite serious. You know, it's got itself sort of ATP sanctioned and it's um, introduced a qualification process for half of the players involved Um, and matches are counting in official ATP head-to-heads, which I think is ridiculous, but that is happening. Um, But then on the other hand, you've got this scoring system, which is as you said, a bit gimmicky and does take away a bit of the sporting integrity of it. You've got John McEnroe staying on as captain when he's lost three in a row. Like, should he still be the captain if it's a serious sporting competition? Wouldn't they look at that and think they could make a change? You've got... And now four in a row. And and, now four in a row. And who is it who appoints him in the first place? It appears to be the organisers because Mm. that would look good to have Borg and McEnroe as the two captains. Yeah, and I noticed that Denis Shapovalov was there and he was, I think I saw a clip of him warming up with Lloyd Harris, who I think was one of the alternates. And it and it got me thinking, Lloyd Harris beat Shapovalov in straight sets at the US Open just a couple of weeks ago. If you want a guy on your team to, to deliver a point, you probably want Lloyd Harris at the moment over Shapovalov. And yet Shapovalov feels like the right guy for Labour Cup because... There's more buzz to him. There's more energy to him. So I think it's sort of caught between being a really fun exhibition and trying to make itself serious. And personally, I would prefer it went down the exhibition route and embraced being fun and different. And if it does that, I don't mind the scoring system 
But you've got to go all in with that. Mm. And going all in involves having Kyrgios against Rude. Yeah. Like, why did that not happen? Why did that not happen? And why mm. did Medvedev not play doubles with Tsitsipas? Like, yeah. that's what you want to see, isn't it? 100%. Yeah, I, I completely... I can I completely agree with all of all of Matt's thoughts there, and they're definitely thoughts that we've 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 said on previous Labour Cup podcasts and packaged differently. I think that well, David, you'll be able to confirm this for us, but I don't think our. I mean, obviously, there were particular issues with with this staging of the of the Labour Cup, which we will come on to. Um, but our general views about the Labour Cup, what it is, where we feel it should position itself in in the the tennis world its merits and its downfalls they're not changing that much I don't think they're evolving I think those are pretty set how we how we feel about it right which is that it's an exhibition and exhibition isn't a dirty word that's fine just lean into it and accept that mm. the, the interesting thing is that John isn't in his press comments and he's been in all of them and he looked absolutely crestfallen in the press conference and he was absolutely at pains to say this is not an exhibition and he was trying to say because I feel like this and because everybody else on the team feels like I do as and as you say exhibition in his mind is what we do when we're having a hit and giggle then then there's there are different gradients of exhibition what the what it means is that this isn't what they are trying to sell it as it doesn't feel like the Ryder Cup, even though that that is strictly speaking not part of the tour in quite the same way as as the majors are in in golf, but it's made itself beyond um, just show that event has. I, one of the reasons I didn't watch that much Labour Cup, I did it for work, quite honestly, because I was glued to the Ryder Cup, and I'm not even a golf fan really. I'm a much bigger tennis fan than I am a golf fan. But I watched all of the Ryder Cup because that result mattered to me. I cared that Europe were getting beaten and it hurt me as somebody who wanted them to win. I Now, it may be because I professionally work in tennis, but I do not feel that about the Labour Cup. I, I've enjoyed it enormously, the, 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 the three editions leading up to this one, in that there were those wonderful moments of Nadal playing with Federer and looking at them on the sidelines. And there was the interesting dynamic when Djokovic was brought in in the second year of, of it. And then in the third year, you had Nadal and and Federer swearing at Zverev, which was just incredible content, if you like, an incredible moment and the insight into their minds. But this was the first time that we've seen the event without any of the big three playing. Okay, Federer was there. Fair play to him, he was there. But goodness me, did it take away from what it had already built up, the fact that they weren't there. And that's it. This is an all-star event, basically, the Labour Cup. And without the big three, the big four, the balance of power in tennis shifts dramatically to the women. And if they want it to be a really exciting all-star event, which I think they do, the women being involved would make it so much better. And it would also help balance out the teams. Um, still, Europe have more higher-ranked players on the WTA than the world. But, you know, the world's got Ash Barty, the world number one. It's got Naomi Osaka. It's got Bianca Andreescu. It's got Leila Fernandez. It would help 
rectify that mismatch that because look one is okay Europe winning fine two that happens three it was kind of a bit funny maybe four they've got a bit of a problem I think in terms of if they want it to be a genuinely interesting sporting battle between the world and Europe and and I don't think that's going to change okay you've got Corder and Brooksby maybe coming through for the US but you've also got Sinos never played it you've got Alcaraz, you know, he's winning at least, what, 21 majors or something. So it's probably (laughs) not going to change over the next few years. And, yeah, I agree with David in terms of, like, sporting integrity. This this was one that showed Europe to be better than the world. But I don't really think that's what the event wants necessarily. It sort of thinks it wants that, but I don't think it it does or it should. I think it should be about embracing the the fun side of it you know we've tennis is pretty serious all year round and this is a a potentially brilliant format for three days Mm. to do something different it's almost there but it's it's not quite there what it's done brilliantly in all previous editions is create content create moments Mm. create viral moments in particular not one negative face uh whenever you any finger you cross any finger you cross Kyle Edmonds insane chest bumping <laughs> in 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 the backstage area which unfortunately will probably haunt me more than any of those other iconic moments um there was one i mean look there was still lots of great content created um over the course of this edition they do do that really well slick production eye-catching you know they understand content production um but the one moment that went most viral on social media uh was one involving um a team conflab um among team world after doubles match on friday uh zverev of team europe apparently said to to john mcenroe at, at the handshake um, it was a, a doubles match won by Team World, that it would be the last point that Team World wins. Um, the on-court microphones then picked up the following conversation between McEnroe's team and his team, and I apologise to David's mum and uh, others of a sensitive disposition to swearing, but I think it needs the swearing to, to fully convey the conversation. McEnroe says, fuck this guy, Isner. He said, what? Fuck him. Schwartzman, what did he say? McEnroe, he said that's the last point we're going to win. Apelka, he also said he's innocent. McEnroe, yeah, good point. Uh, and that's the, those last couple of exchanges and all of that is said among sort of wry chuckling, I think is, is probably how I'd describe it. Um, it also emerged um, via Ben Rothenberg on Twitter over the course of the weekend that Mary Carrillo... Um, who was part of the uh, commentary and presentation team for the Labour Cup in 2019, the last edition, of course, and was scheduled to be again this year. She pulled out of that role on the eve of the competition. Uh, She said, in the end, I just felt like I'd be complicit in the whitewashing of very serious allegations. I couldn't be part of it. Um, We knew that a level of discomfort... Uh, with the Zverev situation and the covering or lack thereof of the Zverev situation would be a feature of our watching of the Labour Cup this weekend. 
and to no great surprise, it it was. Um, where are we left, David? Mm. Well, I think we're we're left first of all ex- feeling as I expected to feel, which was it, it, the fact that he played the event and was lauded roundly in the broadcast and in all the social media coverage of it by the event and we we mentioned last week how dozens perhaps even hundreds of twitter accounts were blocked because they raised reference to the article in which the allegations uh, against him were reported by Ben Rothenberg and and lots of Twitter accounts responding to Labour Cup promoting him were blocked subsequently that that would certainly I couldn't remove that from my mind when when I'm watching this event and uh, and and that was the case um to to hear what what Mary said to Ben and to to know that she'd made that stand I mean well I often think that she can't go up in my estimation any higher and and she has gone up again now there continue to be allegations to which he denies but the fact that no acknowledgement has been made still officially of the allegations or aside from the the review of the game's safeguarding that the ATP announced fairly recently before the US Open that they said would include domestic abuse allegations as part of. There has been no acknowledgement at all. Um, Yeah, that that continues to bother me. And the fact that... uh, Mary, who as as one of the few that have spoken out uh, and in commentary and actually reported what has been or cited what has been reported, that the fact that she's made that stand, I think needs to be, well, commended. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, we're all in the business of broadcasting tennis and um, I have reported and commentated on Zverev matches since those allegations, and I have tried to make clear what has been reported and, and put that out there, but I haven't withdrawn from coverage of any events. And uh, obviously this is a specific one, and this is the event's own production that she was going to be part of. But, yeah, I mean, I'm glad she did that. Mm. Thank goodness that there are Mary Carillos in the world, I think. Um, just to wrap up Labour Cup chat on on potentially a slightly lighter note, although, again, I might have, I, I might, might have oversold that. Uh, we mentioned that Roger Federer was there on crutches, which was um, a, a, a slightly sad sight. I know, I know, you know, he's had these couple of knee surgeries before and he would have been on crutches in the immediate aftermath of that, but we've never really seen it before. We've never seen... Roger Federer looks so visibly physically depleted, I don't think. Um, he gave an update on his health. He said that the rehab is going well this time and he thinks that the worst is behind him. He talked about not rushing back, uh, but he did re-emphasise, as he said before, that this recovery is also for his life after tennis, um, that perhaps he's viewing it in a slightly different way to to recoveries from previous surgeries. Uh, he said that he would like to be back on the Labour Cup team when the event is staged in London next year. Who knows? Don't worry, folks. I'm not going to ask for for wild and dangerous predictions about 
whether we might see Roger Federer lead Team Europe mm-hmm. to uh, to Labour Cup triumph again. But a couple of things that did occur to me. One is just how candid he was about how under-prepared he was at Wimbledon this year, how short he felt in hindsight. I mean, he, he's one of those, isn't he? He doesn't let you know that at the time. It did, we only realised how in what a bad way he was in that final set that he lost six love uh, at Wimbledon. But in hindsight now, he's saying, I was really disappointed in how far I was away, how it, uh, it was, I just wasn't right. And, I mean, look, I think that that probably leads us to believe that he will probably never be right for professional tennis at the highest level again. The other thing that strikes me that is, if he is... I, I believe he's probably going to try to just get as healthy as he possibly can and then have a have a look when he's ready physically as well as he thinks he can be, whether that's enough to try to make a go of it at any level in tennis. I do slightly think that if he were to not play anything else but play the Laver Cup, then that would be really another another downside in its attempt to be taken seriously as a professional tournament because what you're saying is yeah i'm fit enough to play this but i'm not fit enough to play anything else um and look i'd obviously at the o2 arena wouldn't it be magnificent to have him at the o2 arena next year and people would have a great chance to say goodbye and i have no problem with that at all but again what sort of event is it is it is it entertainment is it fun that's absolutely fine let it happen but there's also a limit to which you can take that seriously as a as a sort of we're desperate to win at all costs Team Europe, but we also want to have Roger Vedder in because, frankly, you know, it'll ele- mm. elevate the thing. Mm. That's a very good point. Do you know what does effortlessly elevate a tournament that perhaps the Labour Cup should consider? Three exclamation marks. Exclamation marks. Mm. The more the merrier, I think... And certainly, that is what Estrava continues to think. Uh, Estrava <laughs> has happened again. We got a few messages about this on Twitter. People, t- I, I, I sort of, I was kind of not really aware that it was taking place, and then suddenly was just getting messages from people saying, "Don't forget Estrava." <laughs> yeah, someone said they they look at that court and see it written and and hear it in your voice, Catherine, going Estrava. <laughs> I apologise to all of those people. Uh, Don't worry, those exclamation marks ensure that Estrava will never, ever be overlooked uh, on the tennis podcast. Annette Contivate won Estrava. Uh, She beat Maria Sakkari, 6-2-7-5. Biggest title of Annette Contivate's career. Um, It's a 500-level title. She did it without losing a set all tournaments. She beat Serana Castella, Paola Bedosa. Linda Bencic, Petra Kvitova. That's that's wow. quite a run. She also, yeah, she also she won the title in Cleveland, didn't she? Or the land, as we call that. She won Estrava and the land in one year. What a what a time to be and, alive and conservate. I, I was reminded of this. She shared the title at the Grampians Trophy. Oh yes, <laughs> what a year she's had. <laughs> Yeah. What who did she share it with? Uh Anne Lee, I think. So what what animal did she have to share? Oh, pass. Okay. Uh, we're into depths of knowledge about the Grampians trophy which which I don't have. 
Catherine just firing off questions to Matt. Sorry, sorry. It was my favourite thing about those tournaments, the animals that they were given. Um, not real animals, of course, stuffed stuffed animals. Um, like stuffed toy animals, not, uh, tax, not taxidermy. Oh, dear. Uh, back to Estrava and Annette Condivate. Um She's got Dmitry Tursunov as her coach. That, that appointment initially passed me by a bit actually conservate with uh with Dmitry Tursunov obviously she had been working with Nigel Sears they uh, they stopped working together um obviously the the relationship between Irina Sabalenka and Dmitry Tursunov was one of those very high profile coaching relationships wasn't it mostly because of insane Instagram posts <laughs> um but we talked about Dmitry Tursunov a lot didn't we so it's interesting that this is sort of quite an under the radar coaching new coaching relationship that's actually bearing massive massive fruit i mean annette conservate hadn't won a title for four years before before this year yeah before this year mm. and yet she'd been getting closer it felt all the way through that time she was with nigel says i felt like there was some really good foundation building and she was getting closer and actually perhaps tersonov to some degree is getting the benefit of that in terms of when he comes on board, he can be, and I don't know the ins and outs of their relationship at all and how it works, but he, he struck me in the past as somebody who has this ability to just say a, a thing or two or have a, he's got a, quite a presence, have a look or, or whatever. And, you know, one or two tweaks and it might be, it might make all the difference. And well, certainly she's, she's come on strong really there, hasn't she? Yeah, well, totally. And I was reading, um, what she had to say to the WTA insider and just Tersonov is just feels like that new voice was just helpful, as you say, just just maybe not saying something completely different, but a new energy, a new voice, a new direction, because I, I really agree. Contivate for a few years was building and had great foundations. But I did think a little bit this year she was starting to tread water a bit around her ranking. She wasn't she wasn't making big strides. I was sort of surprised that she wasn't seeded at some events, for example, and she was therefore running up against seeded opponents quite early on, and she hadn't had that many top 10 wins, and I think that was maybe getting to her, but she had a lot of top 20 wins, I suppose, and she's sort of that sort of player, and I think I think it's significant. There looked a really nice balance to the way she was playing. I saw the closing stages against Sakari, and she was as you said, and you reeled off those list of players she's beaten. She's in great, great form at the moment, One twelve of her last 13. So, yeah, it's really good to see. Um, and Zachary is interesting as well because she's now into the top 10 for the first time in her career, which is a massive, massive deal. And she's very, very likely to make the WTA finals. I think she's about fifth or sixth in the race this season. And yet... <laughs> She never wins anything, Zachary. I was, I was, she's won one title in her career, which was in 2019. And I think it's just going to be so fascinating to see whether she does kick on and start winning things because she's improved at the slam. She's made semifinals this year. And I think there's sort of two schools of thought about a player like Zachary. There's the sort of one who says, well, if you keep putting yourself in the position, you keep improving, you keep going deep in tournaments it will happen. You will eventually win. But then there's also, I think some people think that there's a sort of winning chip that players kind of have or don't have and a sort of intangible quality that you can't really measure. 
great, great players have it, just an ability to win titles and rise to the occasion in big moments. And I think we're kind of at a fork in the road for Zachary. And she's made great, great strides and has been thrilling to watch all year. But I wonder whether she's going to kick on even further or whether sort of what we're seeing now is kind of kind of her limit. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be thrilling to watch her over the next 12, 24 months. Mm, that is a that's a very interesting point. Um, Zhang Shui and Sanya Mirza won the doubles title. Obviously, Shui had won the US Open doubles title with Sam Stozer, um, which is one of my favourite doubles partnerships. They are lovely together. Um, so supportive of one another. And yeah, it's all just loveliness. Sanya Mirza, who... I just perpetually think is retired and can't keep a track of whether she's playing tennis or not. That was her 43rd doubles title wow. in her career. She's actually, owned, I thought she was older than she is. Sorry, Sanya, but she seems to have been around so long and retired so many times. And she's actually only 34. So, you know, she is sort of coming out of retirement for the long haul. Then she could, you know, as a doubles player, she could have... Several years ahead of her, couldn't she? 43rd double side. I think she won just the one singles title. Um, yeah, so that's pretty amazing. We had um, a couple of ATP 250 events this week. We had one in Metz. Um, I discovered where Metz is this week after finally Googling it after so many years of talking about the Metz tournament um, and not quite having it clear in my head what part of France it's actually in. Um, turns out it's um, sort of near Strasbourg, that that sort of area. Anyway, uh, in that tournament, uh, Hubert Herkatch, uh, who was the top seed, he won the title. He beat the second seed, Pablo Carreño Busta, in the final. He also beat Andy Murray in the quarterfinals, who'd had a really, really great week. He beat Hugo and Bear um, in his opening match, uh, top 25 player, isn't he, Mbert? And uh, Vasek Pospisil, uh, a- another good win, really good performance that before losing in two tightish sets. First set was tight, wasn't it, to to Herkatch. Herkatch, incidentally, also won the doubles title with... Now, Matt, in your agenda here, you've written Jan Zielinski, who I thought was uh, an Olympic javelin champion. <laughs> Yes, I I, rem- I know who you're referring to. Slightly different had, name, I think. Had but... a, is it? He had a great um, rivalry with Steve Backley. Backley. Yes. Yeah. Jan Zalesny. Jan Zalesny. There we <laughs> <Okay>. are. Okay. <laughs> You've got no idea who I'm talking about, have you, Matt? No, I but I know I'll all about Jan Zalinski. <laughs> I think you? he might. St- no. I think he might still be the world record holder. Anyway, he could certainly throw over 90 metres. By the way, right. uh, just, just a little stat from Enrico Maria Riva, who says that uh, her catch is the first player to win singles and doubles without dropping a set in the men's tour since Roland Garros tournament director Guy Forget won the 1991 Bordeaux singles and doubles oh, titles wow. with Arno Birch. Oh. Right, and that was a big week for her catch in terms of ATP finals. He he's put himself, I think, in the eighth spot now, which is effectively oh. the seventh spot because Nadal is out, um, and a lot of his closest rivals, Australia Seam, Shapovalov, Kasparud, were all playing 
Labour Cup, so didn't accumulate any points. So he's made a bit of ground there. And yeah, I think, is that his first title outside the state of Florida? No, he won Winston-Salem once, didn't he? But certainly his first outside of the US. Um, yes, because he's based in uh, based in Florida, mm, isn't he? So Yeah, it, it, I, I must say I did laugh at Andy Murray's Instagram post because, as you said, I, I didn't see a lot of this tennis, but um, it felt like he was having a week of, you know, given we've already sworn, I'll swear again, I'm not fucking done yet as... Um, <laughs> As as he said against Sitsipas at the US Open, it felt like he was making these statement wins and playing really well. I was hearing a lot of positive things about Andy Murray and he'd back in the top 100. And then his Instagram post was another disappointing week in Mets. <laughs> I'm not interested in getting back into the top 100. I don't see that as a milestone. I want to get back in the top 10. I just thought, yeah, kind of kind of classic Andy Murray, really. It is. It is classic. I, I was encouraged. I have to say, I, I didn't watch the Hercatch match, and I think you did, Catherine. I remember <laughs> receiving some some WhatsApp messages that I was in no position to respond to at the particular time I received them, uh, but I uh, saw them. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of. I was went through a period of about four minutes where I was commentating point by point, yes. hoping. Hoping to pick up some some As, interest, assuming that uh, we but, were watching nobody at the was same with time. me. <laughs> yeah, and then I just reverted to um, seeking uh, confirmation that Hubert Hercatch looks sort of considerably better and more athletic without a baseball cap on. Mm. As m- I thought, mo- he looked really quite a sort of formidable specimen, really, yeah. without the cap. I f- it was a bit like Clark Kent's glasses some players look better with caps some don't mm. Roddick looks better with yes uh, yes very true what can I say not sure we ever saw him without yeah no offense Andy the- um but um, <laughs> but uh I thought yeah I thought Murray was in the two matches I saw I saw both the Umber and Pospisil matches he was moving really well he was playing aggressively I see it as a really another good week to build on, if uh, particularly if he's not injured again, and um, the fact that he's playing again this week, isn't he, in San Diego? So it's um, mm-hmm. it's it's and, it, this is a good little run of tournaments, you know. And he, he got as close as anyone did, really, to Hubert Hercatch. What well, one thing that struck me was just after I think after the Pospisil match or the Umber match, I can't remember which one. The Umber, I think he said, "I'm starting to feel what the opponent is doing in the points," which last year I just I was getting really frustrated that I just couldn't do that and I always used to be a strength of mine to read the play and and to be moving in the right direction before they hit the ball and that sort of thing and and that seems to be coming back to him now Mm. I guess I I just thought perhaps there was some frustration in that he lost to her catch in Cincinnati didn't he and it was the exact same scoreline in Mets this week And and I think it was a very similar pattern of match i think murray it sounded like murray maybe had the better of the first set but didn't win the tie break and then the second set was a bit a bit more one side in her catch's favor and you know kind of like what kind of, kind of like the opposite of what we spoke about recently with emma raducanu where she had that experience of playing zhang shui losing to her and then playing her again a few weeks later and beating her and she got very you know, obvious data in the space of five weeks about how quickly she was progressing and how much she was improving. I guess taking exactly the same loss to her catch, 
you know, we all think Murray's improving and I'm, I'm sure he is. And it's just, it's a triumph that he's out there doing what he is. But I think getting that perspective for him of wanting to improve, wanting to have better results while also recognizing the situation he's in must be, must be difficult and must be frustrating, I suppose. Mm. Well, he obviously was frustrated, mm. as evidenced by Instagram. Uh, there was an ATP 250 event in Nur Sultan. Um, it was won by Sun Wu Kwon. His first ATP title, he beat James Duckworth, uh, 7-6-6-3 in the final. He's the second South Korean man to win an ATP title after Hyung Taik Lee in 2003. That was a lovely blast from the past, seeing Hyung Taik Lee's name on our agenda, I think probably for the first time. Not sure he's come up on the pod before. Hello, Hyung Taik Lee, if you're listening. Uh, as a result, uh, Sun Wu Kwan has reached a new career high ranking of 57. He's sort of very quietly done that, hasn't he? Um, got to 57 in the world. That's serious strides that he's made. So that's an interesting one. A um, couple of other uh, things to discuss for the week, just in terms of wrapping up uh, title wins. Lee and Brody, if you'll allow us just a, a bit of a meander into into Britwatch. Uh, Liam Brody won his first ever ATP Challenger title in Beale this week. Uh, he beat Mark Andrea Husler of Switzerland, seven five six three, in the final. There, his eighth Challenger final. Finally, won one. He's always been the lower ranked player in all of those finals. This was the first time he was the higher ranked player. So on paper, expected to win. And he did. And it's it's massive for Liam Brady, who we've had on the pod before, um, talking about. And he's a great spokesman for what it's like at this level of the game, isn't it? Now, his level of the game does seem to be slowly inching upwards, doesn't he? He's at a career high ranking of 126 um, in the race. He's actually inside the top 100, about 90 in the world. So if he can keep up this form, a really good chance that he'll get into the Australian Open on his ranking and won't have to qualify, which would be massive for him. But it's so hard uh, not to be chuffed for, for Liam Brody. It's a victory for him and he's a he's a lovely bloke. And it's also a victory for just the power of hard work and dedication and loving the sport, absolutely loving the sport. So um, a really good news story for Liam Brody. So well done him. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We also had an event um, this week for, well, for the four British uh, US Open champions Emma Raducanu of course in the women's singles Joe Salisbury did the double uh, the first British man ever to do the uh, men's doubles and mixed doubles double Joe Salisbury Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid of course who completed the the calendar slam in the men's wheelchair doubles which is just ridiculous so the LTA uh, staged a a homecoming event which is a new one on on me in tennis um I, I think it was tennis's version of an open top bus tour or maybe a pandemic version of an open top bus tour. Maybe we live in times when when you can't encourage crowds to gather along along a bus route. Uh, but anyway, it was a, the, the crowd was populated by local school kids. It was attended by um, the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton. It was, you know, it was it was all the things Um it was just I, I was there for it um, for for Amazon and um, yeah, just watching all of these players sort of have this look about them of God. If you told me a few weeks ago that I'd be stood here playing tennis with Kate Middleton, uh, I really would not have believed you. Uh, and in fact, the one that looked like she had the most the 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 least disbelief in her eyes was was Emma Raducanu. Um, and I didn't get, I did get to speak to her and it was a pleasure. I didn't, you know, she, I was one of 10 uh, crews, I think, lined up to speak to her. So it was quite, it was quite businesslike, uh, as you, as you always expect in those sort of lineup situations. Um, but I, the thing I was most struck by was just this steely core of self-belief that's in her. She's, I've said this before on, on the pod, I suppose I just keep reaching for, for more finessed ways to try and describe it. This total lack of imposter syndrome. She's, she's at once sort of got this starry eyed, wow, this is really cool. Look about her. She's not, she's absolutely not taking anything for granted at all. She's lapping it up and she's enjoying it. And she is surprised by it. Of course she is, but she's also not, there's no feeling of unworthiness or questioning her deservedness or um, her right to be there. And I just love that. It really strikes me. It, 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 stri- it struck me watching it on the telly and I was pleased that it struck me even more sort of seeing her in person. And I hope that I hope that goes a long way to getting her through what what is obviously a massive period of adjustment, no matter how steely or core of self-belief is you know she's it it was it was madness it was madness just seeing this 18 year old that I think I was the only sort of 
tennis we were the only tennis specific crew there everybody else was news crews from BBC and BBC London and ITV and Channel 4 and almost I guarantee that all of those people hadn't heard of Emma Raducanu before Wimbledon this year had not heard of her and there they were she was she was the main attraction at an event with the Duchess of Cambridge um just bananas but you know super cool really really cool she also did um uh i think a, a huddle uh, or some sort of event where she spoke to to print reporters that was after after the portion of proceedings that i was involved with um ended um when she talked about her coaching situation and the fact that she has uh decided not to work with Andrew Richardson any longer she said where I was at after Wimbledon I was ranked around 100 to 200 in the world and at the time I thought Andrew would be a great coach to trial so we went to the states but never did I even dream of winning the US Open and having the run that I did and now I'm ranked 22 in the world which is pretty crazy to me I felt like at this stage of my career and playing the top players in the world I realized I really needed someone right now that had the that WTA tour experience at the high levels which means that I'm looking for someone who's been at that level and knows what it takes. And especially right now, because I'm so new to it, I really need someone to guide me who's already been through that. Obviously, having such an experience with your team, it's tough to have that conversation with anyone. But I think for me, it's just really what I need. Um, now, obviously, it's a bit of a surprise, I think. it was. I think the way it was reported on was a really, you know, shock, sort of ruthless split. Um it didn't come as such a surprise to me, I have to say. I think perhaps could I, because I'd benefited from a, a few discussions with Anne Kjothabong, her Billie Jean King Cup captain, about sort of how, what her and her parents, who are very involved, of course, what their approach to coaching has been up until this point, which has been, you know, short-term contracts, short arrangements with lots of different coaches and sort of taking bits from different people and... And not necessarily moving on, you know, I I believe that Andrew Richardson is a long-standing family friend and will probably sort of remain involved on the, on the sidelines. But that was that was supposed to be a short-term, short-term contract. Now, yes, you could say short-term or not. If you deliver someone or assist in delivering a Grand Slam trophy, you, should, you could probably expect to be offered the job full-time. But... I do think the logic about wanting someone with that tour experience, it makes sense to me. I do think actually the biggest adjustment still to come for her is just the grind of the tour. Um, you know, it, it won't be the it, it won't be the Met Galas and the homecoming events with Kate Middleton. It'll be the week in, week out grind of the tour, the the dealing with losing, because even the best players in the world are losing most of the time. And I, I, I think that logic makes sense to have someone with that experience with her, and it's not gone unnoticed by, by the tennis world that Darren Cahill this week, um, or Simona Halep announced that she was no longer going to be working with uh, Darren Cahill. An amicable, an amicable split it seems, but Darren Cahill is now seemingly available, um, and on the just on the face of it, that would seem like a a natural fit. Now, there's a lot more to it than what's on the face of it, but eyes emoji on that situation, I think. Definite eyes emoji. 
Um, and we have no knowledge at all. I certainly don't anyway as to whether that's a possibility. But yeah, I could imagine it. I could certainly imagine it. Just just on the split, or and as you say, it's split isn't really the right word because they weren't really going to america with the thought that they would end up winning the u.s open or she would win the u.s open um my immediate reaction was oh blimey that's a bit harsh the bloke's been with you when you've won the u.s open what more what more do you want you know that was my initial knee-jerk instinctive reaction well why not just carry on like that but i have to say i've thought it through and ended up feeling as you feel which is that actually what's to come is a whole new set of challenges and learning for Emma Raducanu and uh, I would imagine that the needs therefore from a coach are different and uh, I I mean I, I have such a lot of respect for all my colleagues in the media who cover this sport I think the one thing I disagreed with is the use of the word guided in terms of how Andrew Richardson's relationship with her would have worked. I don't see that he would have guided her to the US Open title. I think he assisted her and he was part of her team. Now, that may be a very small detail and just you, it may sound just like semantics, but I think that the next appointment she makes is somebody to guide her through the processes of becoming a fully-fledged professional week in, week out. I think that is required. And as good as a coach as he clearly is, um, and and frankly, from everything I hear, what a good guy he is and a good person to have alongside you in so many ways, he is, he is not experienced at that level week in, week out on the tour. So um, it does make sense to me. And I also like the fact frankly that she just with her dad or with her mum they make their decisions and they go with them and why shouldn't they that that it's her career it's worked a treat so far go with what you think Mm. yeah it's going to be very interesting we still at this stage don't know whether she is playing Indian Wells she said she'll make a decision uh, in in a few days from now she is on the entry list for Moscow um which perhaps is an indicator that Moscow is after Indian Wells. Hello, Billie Jean. Um, perhaps an indicator that she she does have her sights set on trying to qualify for the WTA finals. It could just be that she wanted to keep her options open and get on the entry list for that. We still don't know and we await news. Um, obviously, Indian Wells starts in a week's time. In terms of this week, we've got events in uh, Chicago on the WTA Tour where Kim Clijsters will be finally <laughs> coming back to coming back. Uh, she's got Sue Wei Shea in the first round. Uh, Svitlina Muguruza, Andrescu, Bencic, Jabir Rabakina are all in that draw. So that's probably the pick of the week's tournaments. There's obviously a, a uh, also a WTA event in Astana. Uh, Kazakhstan, where Yulia Putin Saver is the number one seed in her home event. There's an ATP event in San Diego, which sounds just lovely. Uh, Andy Murray has drawn Kanishikori in round one with the winner to play Casper Ruud. Um, and there's an ATP event in Sofia as well, where Yannick Sinner is the top seed and the defending champion. Um, I think that's it. Billie Jean certainly thinks it. it, it that's it. <laughs> she is antsy for a walk and she'd probably, probably like me to point out also that she's sponsored by Billie Jean King. Um, we have our mascots, Scouser, Mouse, Rogue and Zeus. 
And now I get to tell you a little bit more about Oreo, who is owned by Lynn. Uh, he is, well, they think he is a Labrador and German shorthead pointer cross, but they aren't entirely sure because he's a rescue. And I'm looking at the picture, Lynn, of Oreo, and I, I can definitely see both of those two breeds in him. And I can also see why he's called Oreo, because he's dark brown, but with a tiny little strip of white on his chest, sort of perfectly symmetrical in the middle. And it's obviously a perfect name for him. And he's holding two tennis balls in his mouth in the photo, which is just marvellous. Mansour Barami style. <laughs> Mansour Barami style, yes. So we love Oreo. Thank you very much. Um, we we like Chris Albert Lee. We like him a little bit less after he unjustly stole all of our thunder in the US Open rankings, uh, uh, predictions rankings. No, we uh, we love Chris Albert Lee. He's a top bloke. Thank you. Oh. Billie Jean is still annoyed on my behalf about the US Open uh, <laughs> predictions. Uh, and Matt, we have shout-outs. Yes, we, we have some special shout-outs today for Trevor Law. Hey. Oh, hey! Right, Dad? Hello, Trevor. It's me, Dad. <laughs> and, and we have my parents, Neil and Pat Roberts. Hooray! Did, did, did your mum just not want to sponsor us, David? Was that in protest at the swearing? <laughs> <laughs> I think she's in there. She's in there, Catherine, but we only got room for three. Okay. What's your mum's name, David? Uh, Barbara. Hello, Barbara. Really sorry about the swearing. Hope, you, hope you've made it this far. Uh, <laughs> and hello, hello, Neil and Pat. Right, and it's Neil. their Thank wedding you. anniversary today. Oh, happy oh, anniversary. Although they it's... always listen a day late, so it won't be when they listen. But anyway. Oh, well, that's for very tennis podcast, isn't it, to remember? For yesterday, oh, yeah. And it's episode 901. Yes. Oh yes, we forgot. <laughs> we forgot to mention last week was nine hundred. Yeah, quite a lot of any other business today. It turns out. Uh, hello, Neil, Pat. Uh, happy wedding anniversary! Thank you for giving us Matt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a weird note to end on. Uh, we'll be back with another tennis podcast next week at the latest. We might be back with one on Thursday. We haven't decided yet, but next week at the very latest. I'm going to go and take this dog for a walk. David, Matt, it's great to be back with you. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 